Hey guys, it's Noah with the uh, Cosmonax Sports Podcast. Uh, I just want to welcome you guys here to the podcast. Uh, a little preview before we get into this episode. If you're joining us, please take a second, uh, pause the podcast, uh, go leave subscribe on Apple Music, leave a review, rate, all that good stuff. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, if you found this on any other platform, uh, you can go find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at Cosmonax Sports. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Couch Fanatic. Check us out on YouTube at Couch Fanatic Sports. And my favorite personal thing uh, to do is stream some Twitch. We play Rocket League, Warzone, Fortnite, uh, Cold War. We pretty much play it all. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, especially when people are out there on the chat. So come give that a join. That's at no underscore domain. All this information is going to be in the description of this episode. So please just go check that out. Uh, if you found this link through social media or anything like that, please share this with friends. We try and grow this. Uh, we try to grow all the product and, you know, just grow the community. Be uh, one big, happy family together. But, yeah, guys, please stay around, enjoy the episode, and let me know what you think. Hey, what's up? And welcome back to the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast, Episode 9. I'm your host, Noah Domingue. And uh, today should be a pretty interesting episode. Uh, we're going to be breaking down NFC, the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. We're going to be talking a little preview for championship weekend. Um, we'll be talking a couple of things, MLB, NBA, as always. We're going to touch on those things. There's a few major stories over the week. Um, nothing nothing crazy, um, but we're probably going to touch on like the Harden KD stuff. Probably gonna, we're definitely going to touch on the Mets saga. Um, but let's, let's do something a little different today and open up football. Um, probably going to be recording this, taping this at few different times um and since things can actually happen in baseball and in, in basketball in any moment i'll uh, i'll try and save that for last that way i don't have to come back and record anything so let's just let's just get right into like the recap of the weekend um we start for the first game we just kind of go chronological order the first game was the rams and the packers the packers just kind of they were in control of the game the entire time uh the, the score is 32 to 18 they scored in the last minute or so to make it a fourteen point game, but at the same time, the game definitely felt um, the game definitely felt more than what the score kind of indicated. Um, the Packers were up nineteen to they're up twenty five to ten at one point in the third quarter, and then the Rams kind of scored, made it a little bit more respectable, but the Packers just kind of controlled the game the entire time. Um, Aaron Rodgers played; he was just Aaron Rodgers. Uh, 300 yards, two touchdowns. Aaron Jones ran f- uh, for 100 yards and a touchdown. Alan Lazard was a leading receiver for, I think, either team in this game. Yeah, either team. Alan Lazard, but 96 yards and a touchdown. I mean, who would have thought this whole time we were saying, oh, man, the Packers need a wide receiver too. Apparently they have one, Alan Lazard. Uh, Devontae Adams caught nine passes, six, six yards and a touchdown. And, yeah, the whole matchup between Ramsey and Adams that everyone was kind of – Everyone's kind of hyping up. It's it was weird. Like I feel like Adams was fine all game long, but then you see the one touchdown play. It could have been called back because it's illegal. But I mean, he had ten targets. He had nine catches, regardless of how many yards it was. Yada yada yada. I mean, the Rams just really couldn't stop the Green Bay offense. I thought if there was a team in the NFL that could stop the Green Bay's offense, it would be the Rams. Probably because the Rams have the number one defense in the NFL, but. Whenever you have a combination of a hurt Aaron Donald um, and just kind of everything else, like LA couldn't get any pressure, like whatsoever, all game. Um, you start to see that, hey, maybe Leonard Floyd's not so good. Maybe he just plays across from Aaron Donald. Maybe he just plays with Aaron Donald. He gets a lot of one on ones. He gets a lot of just kind of forgetting about it attention um, because he was kind of dominated all game long. It was it wasn't pretty. Um, this game overall wasn't pretty. Uh, yeah, I mean the Packers just kind of went out there, handled business, and won the game. Uh, they had almost 500 yards of total offense. The Rams had under 250, and like the Packers had, the Packers only had nine drives and they had 484 yards of total offense. That is nuts. That is absolutely insane. Like that's almost unheard of. 
They ran for 188 yards, like total, averaging 5.2 yards a rush against the number one defense in the NFL. Like what the what the Packers are doing right now, I don't. I honestly don't see. I don't, I don't know a way to stop them. I don't know if there's a defense for left standing that can stop them. If there is one, they're playing him this week. But I still like. I, I don't know if there's a single defense in the NFL that can stop the Packers, especially out of the three other teams remaining um, after this weekend. But yeah, Packers are out there, dominated time of possession, dominated snaps, one yardage points, like literally every major stat that you look for to win and like a key like okay so how did they win this game they won it they won every aspect uh, i believe they won every quarter too um they lost the third quarter by two points so oh man look at that they shouldn't have ha oh, they they really shouldn't have won this game then <laughs> no i'm just kidding but um yeah i mean it's it's really nothing much else to say the packers went out there handled their business and they're moving on to the nfc championship game um, we get a little preview of Rodgers, Brady, kind of jumping ahead. But uh, the second game of Saturday was, of course, the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Bills just shut down the Ravens' rushing attack. They kind of shut down Lamar Jackson, um, which is kind of wild to think about because the Ravens still average 4.7 yards per rush, yet they only put up three points um and it was it was honestly like a weird game like nobody like really played great josh allen was okay 200 yards and a touchdown they couldn't run the ball they only averaged two yards to carry stefan Diggs had an awesome game eight catches 106 yards and a touchdown but like besides that there really wasn't much going on uh i mean really the difference in this game was that pick six in the red zone for the bills but like lamar jackson didn't do great. He had his, his pass rating was 61. Um, and then the Ravens averaged 4.7 yards per carry, but they only put up three points. So, I mean, how much does that really matter at all things? Marquise Brown put up about 80-something, 90 yards, but they couldn't really move the ball much, which sounds weird to say considering that um, – it's very weird to say considering, like, the entire situation of them averaging 4.7 yards per carry. But you had the voodoo magic of Justin Tucker missing multiple kicks in one game. Um, and then you have the you have the pick six in the red zone. And that's kind of just the difference in this game. And I say that the Bills also missed a couple field goals too. But, I mean, when have we ever seen Justin Tucker miss two kicks in the season, much less two kicks in one game? much less two kicks and four drives. Um, it's 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 unheard of, really. Uh, it's not something that normally happens. And then you, they go into halftime tied at three. Um, Buffalo comes out of the half, goes on a scoring drive. Uh, Josh Allen leads them down the field, completes the touchdown pass to Von Diggs. Ravens answer right back. They're marching down the field, marching down the field, 15-play drive, get down to Buffalo's like nine-yard line, and they throw a pick six in the end zone. And the Bills returned for a touchdown, go up 17-3. And then from that moment on, neither team can really move the ball on the game. just kind of ended. Um, I'm very excited for Bills, for the Bills fans, their players. Uh, but, like, Bills Mafia deserves this. They, they're they going to the um, AFC Championship game for the first time since, like, Jim Kelly. Um, and they, I don't know, like, if there's a fan base out there that, like, really deserves this, it's Bills fans. They've stuck by their team through some – Let's say dark, <laughs> dark years. Um, but nevertheless, regardless, they have some of the most devoted and passionate fans in football. No matter how bad the team is, they show up every week and pour their heart and soul. Like City Buffalo pours themselves into the Buffalo Bills. Um, but yep, now the Bills get uh, get to move on to the AFC Championship game. Having a nice little present waiting for them there which we find that out uh, moving on to the next game, the first game on Sunday between the Browns and the Chiefs. I was pretty wrong in this game. I thought this was going to be a slugfest. Um, it was actually 22-17 Chiefs win. Um, if you watched the game, you saw the Mahomes injury. I'm sure everyone, even if they didn't watch the game, saw the Mahomes injury. It was really weird. Um, they keep saying it was a concussion, but it was weird. Like He never really hit his head. 
Uh, nothing ever hit his head. It kind of looked like he got like choked out. It, it was weird. I don't know, but yeah, he. Uh, I'm hoping he's okay. They keep like planting the seeds, basically telling us that he's gonna be able to play in the next round. But what we saw, that's not good. Um, I don't know if he'll actually be ready. It's the AFC Championship game, so I'm sure no matter what, they're gonna make sure he can play, uh, even if he really shouldn't be. Uh, but there were some pretty good performances out of this. Um, Holmes, in his limited time, still went for 255 yards and touchdown, but a 107 passer rating. Uh, uh, Williams, the running back, uh, LSU boy, uh, he averaged six yards a carry. I mean, Chiefs averaged 5.1 yards a carry on the Browns all afternoon. Uh, the Chiefs moved the ball at will, really, against the Browns all afternoon. Um, they're only – the only reason why this game was kind of cl- was even close was between one, of course, the the injury to Patrick Mahomes, but two, the Chiefs had to settle for field goals and missed field goals, one, two, three, four times, four times. Like that was really the difference. They were marching down the field every chance they had. Um, possessions were limited. Kind of what happens when you play the Browns? They like to run the ball. They like to control the clock. They like to possess the ball. Um, Baker Mayfield played a great game. Baker Mayfield proved a lot. If you look at the stats, they're not eye-popping. But if you watched that game, if you saw some of the throws he made under pressure, if you saw just the composure he had, and honestly, some of the drops that his receivers had, um, you would realize just exactly what was going on. Um, Oh, wow. And as I say this, uh, apparently the Blue Jays just signed George Springer. So... Yeah, you heard it here first. Breaking news: Blue Jays sign George Springer, and uh, I guess it's not official. It says pending, pending physical. They're just a front runner, like they have a deal in place, but nothing signed yet. But man, that's wild that we actually got that recording. Uh, Consider I'm not even supposed to be recording today. But um, back to the game. Uh, Baker played a great game. Uh, Nick Chubb averaged five point three yards a carry. Cream Hunt also averaged five point three. Uh, Higgins. Caught 88, had 88 receiving yards. Um, that's pretty much the only person that really did anything in the receiving side for the Browns. Um, and then Chiefs, Tyreek Hill put up 110 yards. Kelsey put up 109 yards and touchdown. It's kind of just what you expect at this point from those guys. They just kind of they kind of show up and they get you seven to ten catches and. I don't know. They, they like those guys are going to show up. They're going to get you seven to ten games, catches for eighty to one hundred and forty yards and like zero to two touchdowns. That's just honestly like that's just what they do. Um, but now we get to see Mahomes, Allen, two of the brightest star like young quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, two of uh, honestly like the future generation stars. Um, I noticed this couple days ago whenever i kind of saw who was left we kind of knew a few days ago it would be one of the three of brady breeze rogers uh so it's like you know like the old guard and then it would be josh allen patrick mahomes or maybe a baker or lamar and against like the new guard like we're gonna get like a true like now it's gonna be brader or rogers like two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time against patrick mahomes people who say like me his potential to go one day or Josh Allen, a person who looks like he's gonna be right there with, uh, right there with Mahomes. Uh, this whole Josh Allen, Sean Watson, and Mahomes feels like this could be the next like uh, Manning, Brady, Breeze type of crop. And I know it sounds so silly because it's only been one year of Josh Allen, um, but Josh Allen's shown that kind of growth and that kind of potential. And if he plays to his potential of what he's been playing this year. It's not out of the ordinary. It's not really anything crazy. Um, but we got something like interesting to actually look forward to. So that's always good. Um, now we get to my favorite part, the ranting about the Saints. I honestly don't understand how the Saints lost that game. Um, the Saints lost to the Bucks 30 to 20 in the dome. It's not like that really matters that it was in the dome because there's no fans, but I am incredibly frustrated that we just watched Drew Brees' last game and the black and gold. Um, it's currently Tuesday night. I'm still trying to process it. It's still not clicking well in my head. I am still struggling because I know for a fact that the Saints should have not lost that game. 
the Saints threw that game away. And I, I keep wanting to blame it on one individual person, but I really don't need to. Um, bottom line is whenever Drew Brees, Cam Jordan, and Michael Thomas all play just like absolute crap, you're not going to win that game no matter what. So it's kind of unfair to single out one guy. Michael Thomas didn't have a catch. We're going to get back to Michael Thomas before we talk about him because I don't like Saints fans, what they're saying right now. Uh, Cam Jordan didn't. Cam Jordan was kind of a, just a non-factor. And Drew Brees, as we saw, just looked bad. Uh, three interceptions, no touchdowns. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. He might have had one. I'll, I'll go double-check real quick. But, like, that doesn't really excuse the fact that he just didn't play well. Um, one of the points, one of the touchdowns the Saints score was on a trick play with Jameis throwing a touchdown because Drew just couldn't throw it. Yes, Drew did throw a touchdown pass to Traquan Smith. It was like a – pretty sure it was like a uh, – just kind of a jump ball. But that's just – this whole game, man, it, uh, it made me just feel terrible. And, like, the Saints, like – the annoying part was they at halftime they were tied thirteen to thirteen in a game in which like the, all right let's start from the beginning three and out for the Bucks the Saints then return the the punt like fifty two yards to the to the Bucks territory then we have several field goal hold them to three and out again the Saints return the punt for a touchdown this time but it was a cheap block and a back call whatever can't do anything about it still got on the field have to settle for field goal red zone field goal again then the Bucks go down the field kick a field goal. And then Drew Brees throws an interception. And I will say that interception was it was questionable. They definitely could have called um they definitely could have called some defensive holding on that, but nevertheless, they didn't. Um it was it was subjective. It, it could have been called. it wasn't egregious, but it doesn't matter. You still call an interception. All of a sudden, Bucks go score, 10-6. Feels like all hope is lost. Like we held them three and out both times. We should have scored a touchdown both times. We were in the red zone. We were, had a chance to go up 14 nothing. Put the dagger in them early, and we did it, and we lost our chance. Then all of a sudden, James Winston comes in for a trick play, scores a touchdown, and we got the lead again. And we forced him to a three and out, and all of a sudden, we have all the momentum. And then we can't move the ball, have to give it back. They go kick field goal for the half to tie it up. Come out halftime, we go score a touchdown, uh, make them punt almost instantly, only run a couple plays. And then the Saints are driving down the field again, going 40 yards in first four plays. Then on the fifth play, Drew Brees completes a pass to Jared Cook. Jared Cook's 15 yards down the field. All of a sudden, he fumbles the ball. The person tackles him from behind. He fumbles the ball. Devin White returns it 30-something yards, and it sets the Bucks up for a touchdown. Now, all of a sudden, the game's tied whenever we're driving to go up by 14. And then the Saints just never recovered from that. They started pressing. Uh, quick punt, Bucks go kick a field goal, go up by three. Interception, whenever a ball just kind of batted, like rattled around, they go down for a score touchdown. All of a sudden, we need 10 points with four minutes left. Um, and then miscommunication between Drew and Camara, interception ball game. Tampa runs out the clock. See, like, there's very, there's a few moments in that game where pe- multiple people just didn't play well. But it's just very, very frustrating, the fact that I feel like everything changed after Jared Cook fumbled the football. I feel like we were in control again until he did that. But I don't know. It's it's hard to be just upset at him whenever everyone else played just awful, right? They just weren't good. Um, but I don't know. It's it's just it's just tough. I um I like going back and kind of just trying to break it down. It was just an ugly game. It's kind of hard to break down. It just wasn't pretty. Um, Saints were outsnapped. They're outgained. Um, yeah, I mean, they committed less penalties, but then they lost the turnover battle 4 nothing, and they had less time in possession. The difference in the game was turnovers. If you go back and look, all the Bucks points came off of turnovers. Um, so the Bucks, the Bucks had the field goal when they drove down the field. Before that, though, they had a touchdown set up because they intercepted the ball and returned it to the three. And then later, the fumble recovery by the fumble recovery by Devin White gave him the ball deep in the Saints territory, like already in field goal range. And then the interception again by Drew later and the balls were rattling around. The Bucks got the ball in their own red zone and went score a touchdown. Like if those 
if those turnovers don't happen, like the Bucks only prove that they can go down the field and march against this defense once. My bad, twice, and it was both field goals. Um, it's it's very 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 upsetting that they meant to end like that. It's very upsetting that Drew's career had to end like that. Um, Drew means so much to the city of New Orleans. What he did for New Orleans after Katrina, like we'll forever be indebted indebted to him. We'll always owe him. Like we'll never be able to come back from that. We'll never be able to. Like Saints fans pre two thousand six. Free the Drew Brees, John Payton era, they get it. Non-Saints fans before that or Saints fans that just didn't know that, if they didn't know better, if they didn't have family members explaining to them what those times were like. Because obviously I don't remember that. I was six years old when Drew came. Like Drew's really the only quarterback I ever remember. But my dad always told me the Aaron Brooks days and all the other guys. Um, Actually, I'm about to pull that up. I'm about to pull up the list of quarterbacks that we had before Drew in those 15 years because it is – Let's just say it's subpar. Um, it, it, I feel like subpar is putting it a little too nice for the record. Quarterbacks not named Drew Brees to start for the Saints in the last 15 years, so from 2005 to 1990. Steve Walsh, John Forcade, Bobby Bear, Wade Wilson, Mike Buck, Jim Everett, Doug Nussmeyer, Heath Shule, Billy Joe Hobert, 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 I don't even know. Danny Rural, uh, Joe Tulliver, Tulliver, oh, Billy Joe Tulliver, same guy. Kerry <laughs> Collins, like this is terrible. I've never even heard most of these guys. Jake Delhomme, Jeff Blake, Aaron Brooks, Todd Bowman, like that's awful. I've never even heard most of those guys. We're going to, we went from being the Aints, went from being the team that, like, we, the fans were embarrassed to go to the games to where ex- excellence and quarterback playing, great quarterback playing, winning is expected. That's what we've done in these 15 years with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. That's what he did for us. Um, back in the day, we were winning because of Drew. Drew was dragging us along saying, no, let's go. Pick it up. We're going to win. And now this team's built to win without Drew. You can make a serious case that Drew Brees held us back these last few years. Um, that if he was replaced with – uh, maybe just a different quarterback, somebody that could push the ball downfield a little bit more because his mind was still there, but his arm just couldn't reach it, which I think those takes were a little dramatic up until about 2019 or halfway through 2018. But nevertheless, it's especially this year, is pretty evident, and his arm just couldn't get it there anymore, as sad as it is. Because if it was up to me, Drew Brees would be quarterback the Saints forever. Every chance game I ever watched, Drew Brees would be quarterback. It was up to me. But uh, Father Time just kind of, he kind of had a different story. He liked to, He wanted to deteriorate Drew in his arm and his body. Um, but Drew, everything Drew did for us and some of the way that I'm seeing fans respond to him now, it really breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart to see some of the mean words and stuff that he's saying, the people that's being said to him after everything he's done for us as a community, as a city, as a fan base. I think we need to remember what Drew really did for us, what Drew really means to us in this time. And please just, guys, go back for a second and pause the podcast, honestly. And just, if you're a Saints fan, think about what Drew did for you. Um, Think about what your life as a Saints fan was like before that. I don't care what your opinion is about him now. I don't care what what your thoughts are, if he should still be the quarterback of this football team or not. I don't care. I don't care about you being some so cool GM to where you you're a scout now and you can't have feelings. And as at the end of the day, we have feelings. We're fans. Um, but just go back and think of Drew and all the memories you have because of him and everything he ever did for this fan base. And now looking back, 15 years with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, we probably should have won more than one, right? Um, but it at the same time, most teams kill for just one. Um, it's very upsetting that he couldn't get more than one. I feel like he deserved more than one. I really think 2018 was our year. And it, the story, the writing was kind of on the wall. Drew Brees was going to win that Super Bowl. He was going to retire. And then after that, it felt like he was trying to come back and like like force it and like win it and like whenever he really just couldn't. Um, 2018, the no-call year. I know I sound like a big whiny baby, but I feel like a lot of people agree that that was the Saints year. 
and that the Saints would have went to a Super Bowl, put up more than 13 points against the Patriots, and won that game. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not what happened. Um, you can't change it. It's sports. It's football. But it does really feel like these last two years have been trying to get the monkey off the back, saying, like, no, I got to get mine. I got to get mine. I got to get mine. And we see how those two years ended. But, Drew, thank you for everything you've done for the fan base, for the city of New Orleans, for the New Orleans Saints, everything you've ever done for us. Um, you're awesome. You're great. Like, honestly, just thank you for your tremendous play, but thank you for your heart. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your caringness. And um, go live your awesome life. Whatever you want to do next, I know you're going to be excellent at it, uh, whether it's coaching, whether it is being an analyst on TV, or whether it's just being dad to those wonderful kids you have. Uh, just keep keep thriving in everything you do, Drew, and uh, keep seeking excellence because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Um, but now that I'm kind of off my soapbox about Drew, um, going into more of like the Michael Thomas stuff, the same people right now that are mad at Michael Thomas saying cut Michael Thomas, trade Michael Thomas, da 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 those are the same people who said that Kamara last year didn't care anymore and that he sucks and da-da-da-da-da. Michael Thomas is hurt. Michael Thomas has not been healthy since week one whenever he got rolled up. And if you want someone to blame, blame Sean Payton because he should have not been in that game. The Saints were up by multiple possessions. He was trying to run it in whenever he could have ran out the clock. He was trying to rub salt in the wound to Bruce Arians. And uh, I'm so mad. Michael Thomas got rolled up from behind on Alvin Kamara run. And then ever since then, he has not been healthy. He should have not played this year, and he gutted it out for us. The doctors kept telling him not to play, and he still can't play for us and for Drew. He said he knew this was Drew's last year, last ride. He wants to win one for him. And if you can't appreciate that attitude in a player, then that's on you because I want somebody like that on my team that has my guys back like that 100 times out of 100. So if you're a Michael Thomas hater right now, be as loud as you want. But as soon as next year, whenever he goes catch 130 passes for 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns, don't cheer. Don't cheer. Or you go back and you walk back your take and say that you're wrong and you go quote tweet yourself or you go share your old Facebook post or yada yada or whatever you did and say I was wrong. I was a big stupid idiot. I don't know football. That's on me. So, yeah, go, make sure you do that. And also, in retrospect, if you did the same thing about Camara last year, go do that too because just go quote tweet your stuff that was like, oh, Kamara sucks. He's not interested anymore. He doesn't care. Yeah, go quote tweet that and be like, I am sorry. I am a big, stupid idiot. Please forgive me. Thank you. Um, yeah, but in seriousness, it's it's just it's absurd at this point, the amount of hatred I'm seeing for a guy who has poured his blood, sweat, and heart, his tears, everything into this team over the last 16, 17, 18, 19, 25 seasons, you know? Stu spent five seasons here. We've seen him develop from a second-round pick to a all-pro uh, NFL record-breaking wide receiver who's on a fast track to the Hall of Fame. And y'all ready to trade him already? Y'all ready to cut him because he was hurt and he played through it? That's It's absurd. I want Michael Thomas on his team forever. Right? And a little bit that that's bias. Michael Thomas has been my favorite player for a long time now. But... Michael Thomas is the type of guy who takes this hate and reads his comments, and he's very online. He sees this stuff, and he's going to take that to heart and say, okay, and he's going to be very personal with that. He's going to hold a grudge because that's what he has inside of him. So don't be surprised when he goes donkey next year. And that's all I'm going to say from that. And then honestly, now – oh, yeah, one other thing about this game. Devin White is an animal. Devin White is a top three linebacker in the NFL. Devin White will be a Hall of Famer. Devin White is amazing. Uh, if you want to see stats, go check out the Alpha blog I posted. Um, go cashfanaxports.com. He is just absolutely nasty. But yeah, now we can move on to kind of like the preview and predictions part of the podcast episode. So we can just move on to that. All right. So first, we're going to start with the AFC Championship game because why not? I definitely did not flip a coin to figure this out. I did. But um, yeah. So. First and foremost, this game is going to come down to if Patrick Mahomes plays. I think that's fair to say. Um, if Patrick Mahomes plays, it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a very good game. Uh, if Patrick Mahomes plays, I don't think he's going to be at 100%. I think the Bills get the edge in that case. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't play, I think the Bills win no matter what. Um, the Bills' offense is just absolutely electric. They are 
Josh Allen, he's a top three quarterback in football this season. I don't know if there's any way to go like around that. Um, but I'm pulling up the NFL total offense leaders this season. I'm pretty sure the Bills were number two behind the Packers, but I'm going to pull it up just to refresh my memory. Okay, so in yards per game, oh, this is postseason. <laughs> I was about to say, the Steelers definitely were not that. All right, so the Bills are number two in yards per game behind the Chiefs this year, and then they're number two behind the Packers in points per game. So through and through, this team is just nasty. Um, you have the star quarterback of Josh Allen. You have the tremendous wide receiver play of Stephon Diggs. I mean, Stephon Diggs broke out and played like a top three wide receiver this year. Now, we've seen very good Stephon Diggs. We have never seen that at this level. And part of that is because, no offense to Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins isn't Josh Allen. And then we've seen very good Josh Allen, like peaks and like stretches and like flashes of potential. But we have never seen it like this. Like this is a combination between his new offensive coordinator who helped develop him, helped work with him, helped teach him how to be a quarterback, which his new offensive coordinator, for the record, should be getting head coaching looks just based off of that. Like, if you're drafting a quarterback this year, go get him. <laughs> Why not? Like, um, I honestly would appreciate that hire for Jarvin Lawrence more than I do for Urban Meyer. Um, I don't know if I talked about Urban Meyer in this one, but we don't need to get into that. If you want, you can go look at the YouTube channel. Um, it would be under, like, uh, recent head coaching hires would be, like, the video title. But I'm not really a big fan of the Urban Meyer hire. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of like Josh has just been developing, developing. And then you bring in the offensive coordinator, takes him to that next step. And then you bring in Stephon Diggs, who helps him get there. And then all of a sudden, Cole Beasley's not your number one anymore. And then Cole Beasley, I think, had over 1,000 yards receiving this year. And that's just because of Josh Allen. Dawson Knox has shown so many, like, flashes of potential. Like, he's he looks like he could be a very good tight end one day. Um, and they've kind of done this with like little to no running game. Like the Bills running backs, they kind of do running back by committee, feel like what they feel like every week between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. But there's not really anyone that kind of stands out. There's not really, I really thought Zach, Zach Moss was going to like take over the job. Like, and like I actually had, I was drafting him like fantasy leagues, like sleeper guy, like later in the rounds because I was like yeah I think he's gonna go in I think he's gonna take over for the Bills and he'd be in a good offense and he's a big back he's very fast like I, I'd love them coming out of Utah um but I thought they were going to I thought he was gonna take the job and I thought he, he was gonna get a lot around Josh Allen I didn't know Josh Allen's gonna be this good so I mean I thought he was gonna get a good bit of attempts per game a good bit of touches and then all of a sudden Josh Allen comes out with his hair on fire I actually drafted Josh Allen in most of my leagues too for fantasy um, I was a big believer in Josh Allen, but I didn't know who's going to be this. I, I, had, I was a big believer in the fact that he could just get me a bunch of yards rushing and uh, how he likes to get rushing yard, touchdowns too. But I didn't. I wasn't a big believer in the fact that he'd be an MVP candidate, you know. But it's kind of like where the Bills are at. The Bills' defense has really turned it up over the past, I don't know, handful of games. They're looking like the defense that they were probably around like week 12 or 13, they look like the defense that they were last year. And the defense last year that they had was just dominant. And that defense last year compared with this offense went Super Bowl. And honestly, the Bills are probably going to win this game. I think they have the edge, especially if Patrick Mahomes is hurt. Like if Patrick Mahomes isn't 100%, I think the Bills get the edge. Um, but the great great equalizer in that is it's still Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. You still have to go beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. It's very hard to do. Not many people have done it. Here's a list of people that have beaten Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. One, Tom Brady. Two, ends the list. That's it. Only one person ever has ever beaten Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. So it's a lot easier said than done, as we see. Um, I, I, I have to imagine Chad Hinney's not going to win the game if he is playing. If he does, that is some legit anything can happen, um, as Patrick Mahomes likes to say. But I think I think the Chiefs' offense matches up well with anyone, obviously, because they have so much speed and they get so much separation. They have a Patrick Mahomes. They have the best tight end in football. They have the best quarterback in football. They have a top five wide receiver in Tyree Kill. Um, and then their running game, it kind of feels like it doesn't really matter who's back there because no matter who's back there, they are 
just doing work. But I think I think regardless if Mahomes is in one hundred percent, I give the edge to Josh Allen and the Bills. Then at that point, Bills Mafia gets to celebrate a Super Bowl appearance, and I would love nothing more than the Bills to win the Super Bowl at this point. Like at this point of who's remaining, I de- I'm definitely cheering for the Bills. Um, the Bills deserve it. The Bills have some of the best fans in football, as I already went on to talk about how great they are. But I, I think regardless of who's playing quarterback this week, I think the Bills are going to win just because, again, the health. I know I keep harping on it, but that's what it comes down to. Um, but I will say that the Chiefs' defense have also improved a lot over the past few weeks. Um, they've been playing you know, with their hair on fire. Like looking at the Browns game last week, they held a very good Browns offense to just 17 points. Um, this offense is a little different. This offense is built like your offense, uh, uh, Kansas City. Like it's built like yours. It's built to stretch the field and go deep and sling the ball around. So it's going to be an extremely interesting matchup. I'm honestly very excited to see it. I wish both teams would be at full health because this is just going to be a different game. And also – Arrowhead being not full to the brim with a bunch of crazy uh, Missourians, it's gonna. It's also gonna affect the impact of this game. But yep, give me the Bills. Give me the Bills at thirty-seven to twenty. That's with Chad Henney playing. With Mahomes playing, give me the Bills thirty-one to twenty-seven. Yep. Um, and I know Shane Patrick Mahomes is only worth seven more points. No, I'm saying like they're they're gonna be blowing him out. So Chad Henney is gonna be able to score some like overtime stuff. But yep, those are my uh, two predictions. So hopefully I can remember that for my blog that's coming out on Thursday. Moving on to the NFC Championship game. Um, obviously, as we already discussed, it's the Packers versus the Bucks. In this game, I have the Packers winning. Um, I haven't seen a team yet stop the Packers on offense. If there is a team remaining that can stop the Packers on offense, it would be the Bucks. But I, I still don't think the Bucks have that kind of talent, that type of firepower, and honestly, that type of like fire within them to like go out there and win. Um, I think, obviously, again, Tom Brady in the playoffs, kind of hard to you know go against that. Kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to suggest and like say that he's going to lose, but. I don't know. I just I, I don't see anyone stopping the Packers on offense this year. And the Bucks offense doesn't look like it can score with them. Like the Chiefs and the Bills, they can score with the Packers. Um, they can go in a shootout, last person to have the ball wins. But I don't I don't see a world where the Packers are rolling on offense and can the Bucks can keep up with them when it comes score for score. And I also don't see a world where the Bucks kind of shut them down offensively. Um, but regardless, uh, I guess I guess I'll just break down the game because that's kind of what you're here for. Um, so I, honestly, a lot of people here probably should hear the rant about the Saints. But um, breaking this kind of like you know preview down, I think the Bucks have so much talent on the offensive side of the ball. The problem is they have no like just none, no chemistry. Whatsoever, there's not a single bit of chemistry in that building. They from the start, like I called it Frankenstein's monster when they're building it this off season because you have Tom Brady, who let's be honest, Tom Brady can't sling it like he used to. It's not a shot at Tom; it's just a fact. He's older now, and it's just kind of what happens. And then you put him in with a Bruce Arians offense, who has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, a couple of you know really good deep ball receivers, people that are there to stretch the field. Uh, Scotty Miller, who we didn't really know about, but like now that we do know about, it's a very he's a speed guy. And then you go add Antonio Brown, who's another guy who's used to stretch the field. Um, and then you pair that up with a Bruce Arians offense, who likes to go deep and likes to be aggressive. Like that's the opposite of what Tom had it has been as a quarterback in his career. He's been marched down the field to sustain drives. Um, and they had, you know, they have some good running backs, but the offensive line wasn't good, especially coming into this year. No one thought this offensive line was going to be good. They really weren't good. In the playoffs, they've played very well. I was shocked. They kept really kept Tom clean these last two games in the playoffs against two very good front sevens in Washington and New Orleans. But I just, the way that the Packers are playing right now, I don't know if there's a team in the NFL that's going to beat them. And I, as I've said, I'm cheering for the Bills to win it all. I want the Bills to win it all, 
but the Packers just look like a they just really look unstoppable. Like they look like Thanos right now. Like the way that we all looked at Thanos watching Infinity War. Um, like whenever he just kept collecting the stones and getting stronger and stronger, and then we're like, How are we gonna beat him? And then, you know, they just didn't beat him. Um, like looking kind of like digging down now, um, I don't see that if there's a single corner on the Bucks who can shut down Devontae Adams, mainly because I don't think there's a single corner in the NFL that can shut down Devontae Adams or really slow him up. After seeing what he did against Ramsey last week, you know, arguably the best corner in the NFL for the last few years, I just don't know if there is anyone that can. Aaron Jones is a very, very good running back. He averages, you know, over five yards per touch. It's usually around 5.7 yards per touch. He's had 30 touchdowns in the last two years. And then you add in the fact that they have the MVP and Aaron Rodgers. Um, just breaking down like that, like that, like the big three, so to speak, on those two teams. It's I just don't think the Bucks have that type of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Then on defense, the Packers have, you know, Zadarius uh, Smith. He can get pressure on the quarterback. They have Jair Alexander. who can go out there and take away the uh, the Bucks' top option. Who are they going to match him up on? I don't know. Antonio Brown's questionable right now. You have to assume he's going to play, but if he doesn't play, it's going to be interesting on who they put Jair on. And, you know, the the Bucks. I think the Packers are just going to go sling the ball around like they always do and toy with them and say, come on, let's go score with us and force Tom to th- expand the field and throw it downfield for 60 minutes and beat them. And if the Bucks played of the way on offense that they played these last two games against the Packers, they will not win. Because they have been so stagnant. They have been so just, I don't know. Like they've been, they just haven't looked good this season. Like the only times they look competent is against really bad defenses. But these last two weeks, like they put up 30 against the Saints. Most of those points came off a short field from turnovers. And they just looked choppy the entire time. And then against Washington, again, they just looked choppy the entire game. They couldn't really find a rhythm, couldn't really get going. And. Now we see what we, – we, they, they're winning, right? But I think this is the game where that kind of get ex, gets exposed. And if they really haven't figured it out yet against a good defense, I don't know if it's going to start against the Packers whenever they have so much pressure on them because Aaron Rodgers is getting free plays and throwing it deep and, like, smiling in your face and, like, smirking the whole time. I, I, I just don't think that's going to be the time and place whenever they learn from it and kind of move on from it. Um. But, yeah, pretty much long story short, I expect the Packers to come out here and sling the ball around. And I like going back to the first game, the Bucks beat them 38-10. to 10. If you hear that, you say, oh, my gosh, it sounds terrible. But then if you watch the game, you saw that the Packers were, like, running away with it. Went down the field, first possession, scored a touchdown, went down to uh, force a three and out, went down the field, second possession, uh, scored a touchdown, called back, ended up kicking field goal, 10 nothing. Three and out again for the Bucks, and then Aaron Rodgers comes out next possession, throws a pick six, under throwing an out route. Whoops, that might have been loud. Um, but throws a pick six, under throwing an out route, and then same exact thing next possession, except the the defender is tackled at the one. They punch it in. All of a sudden, it's fourteen to ten, and the Bucks have all the momentum, like all of it. Even though the Packers were dominating at that point, and then Aaron Rodgers ends up throwing like a handful of interceptions that game. I think it was somewhere between three to five. I think it was four, but. That's what that game happened. That game got ugly because of that. They lost all the momentum and just couldn't do anything after that. They were pressing. They're trying to get it back all at once. And yeah, that's just that's a good way to lose a game. Um, so if you watch that game from the start, you th- it looked like the Packers were gonna run away with it, and then the Bucks just kind of all of a sudden was like boo and like took over and just they ran away with it. Um, I think this game's gonna be different. I don't think the Bucks are gonna put up points like that again on the Packers, especially. If Aaron Rodgers plays the way I expect him to play, um, for a while now, Packers fans, especially like Aaron Rodgers fans and Aaron Rodgers himself, have always said like, "We got to host one of these." Like, it's a quote from him in Seattle in the NFC Championship game, saying, "Man, we got to host one of these one day." Talking about the NFC Championship game, he finally gets it, and I assume he's going to take advantage of it. But yeah, it's pretty much all from the. It's pretty much all I got. For, for like the championship weekend previews. Uh, I'm going to go Packers 31 bucks 17. That's going to be my guess. And 
So yeah, I think 14 points is fair. Uh, the Bucks might put up more. I don't know, but I I just know the Packers are going to handle business. Uh, I don't know if the game's ever going to be in doubt for them. I expect them to go out there and dominate. I'm watching the Saints Bucks game during the entire game after watching the Packers this weekend. I was like, ooh, yeah. So whoever wins this game is just going to get beat up next round, right? So this kind of have to be fair and play that both ways. I'm, it's not just me being like a hater or whatever to the Bucks and Tom Brady. Like, oh man, well they beat us, so they're going to get beat up next. No. It's just, it's just what I believe. Like, I think even if the Saints are playing next weekend, they'd be getting beat up. So, now we can kind of circle back to the MLB. Uh, as I said, the George Springer news kind of broke live on here. Uh, so, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Blue Jays since they got Springer. As of right now, um, it's I've been recording this in parts. I, I don't know if you've ever tell. Last night oh, it was whenever it dropped. Um, right now, it is Wednesday at about like 1 o'clock. 130-ish. And so we got the report that Michael Brantley signed a three-year deal with the Blue Jays. And then we had the rare Ken Rosenthal misfire. And apparently that was wrong. Uh, it's not finalized yet. They're close to a deal. They don't know if it's going to happen or not. They are considered the front runners. So the deal is not done. Um, let's play as if the deal is done. If that deal gets done, the Blue Jays have just made some moves these last two offseasons. Uh, they took Ryu last year, signed him to a four-year deal. You go get Springer this year. You go get um, Kirby Yates, who's a very good reliever, by the way. He's a great reliever. And then you go get Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley is just the definition of a professional hitter. He's the guy who's going to show up to the ballpark every day. He's going to hit 300. He's going to have a 850 to 900 OPS, and he's going to hit 40 doubles and have 200 hits. And like That's just what he does. He's going to roll out of the bed and hit 40 doubles every year. And then you have the guy like uh, George Springer, who is honestly one of the best outfielders in baseball whenever he's healthy. Um, I saw a stat. He is – I actually put it in my blog because I just loved it so much. Uh, over – in his career, over a 650 span worth of at-bats, so, you know, about a full season – George Springer's average career war is a 5.2. That's nuts. Like, that's entering, you know, elite territory. Um, But then you also say, okay, well, what else does he do? What else does Springer do that would make him, you know, in that elite territory? Well, then you find out he's a leadoff hitter who's going to slash – you know, 270 with a 360 on base and a 490 OPS. I mean, uh, sucking. He's going to go out there. He's going to have an 850 OPS. He's going to have, a, you know, a 140 OPS plus. And this is from the leadoff spot. Oh, and then he's also going to hit you 35 bombs. Oh, he's also going to drive in almost 100 runs. Oh, and on top of all that, he's also going to score about 120 runs. That's the type of guy. That's the type of dude that George Springer is. Um, and most importantly, he doesn't have – like I said, from the leadoff spot, that's like the that's the clue here. That's the that's the key to all of this. That he's doing this from the leadoff spot. He's not doing this as a he's not doing this as you know like the four hole or whatever. Like yeah, it's kind of expected, but he's a part of that new wave, that new trend that started with like Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor and George Springer of like the leadoff guys with pop. And I love that movement, and George Springer has been a great component to it because there's a lot of people that can't hit leadoff in the majors. Um, if you're a Red Sox fan like I am, you know this because they tried it anyway and any, every way to get Mookie out of there to try and get him in like the two-hole because the two-holes now every year we come up a new best place to hit in, in the lineup. Um, but all of a sudden like the two-hole is supposed to be like the crazy new thing. Put Benatini there in the leadoff. Couldn't do it. Tried Xander. We tried Devers. We tried JD. We tried everything. Nobody could hit leadoff except for Mookie. Because some people just aren't comfortable with it. And that's okay. You hit, you know, if you're if you're batting 310 with a with 40 bombs a year from the four hole and you go to the leadoff spot and can't hit, well, yeah, just go back to the four hole. It's not a big deal. But Springer can handle the pressure. Springer's going to say, yo, let's. He's gonna say, "Yo, let's let's go. Like, let's. I want to start this off. I want to start this game off one nothing for us. I want to go out there, hit a tank on the first pitch of the game, start this game off right." 
but that's the, just the type of player he is. Then you add in the fact that he's a really good defender. He's a good base runner. He can just do everything part of the game, and he's just such a likable guy, such a good dude. He's one of the few Astros that most people don't hate over the cheating scandal stuff, and that's just because of the way he handled it. He's just a nice guy. Uh, he talked about like forgiveness and like talking about what they did was wrong and how they don't really deserve forgiveness, but like they're going to ask for it and that they want to strive every single day to be better from it. And they want to strive every single day to like, not only being better from it, but also being, I'm trying to figure out a way how to word this, but you know, like he wants to learn from it and he wants to, I honestly don't know, grow from it. That's what I'm trying to say. He wants to grow from it as well. Um, but like going back to Kirby Gates for a second, while I was talking about Springer, I pulled up Gates' stats. I haven't done too much deep dive. Um, last year, obviously, he was hurt. He only threw four innings. In those four innings, he gave up six runs. But again, he was hurt, so not really. So we're going to look at the two previous years before that. Two years before that, he had an ERA of a 2.14 in 2018. And then in 2019, his ERA was a 1.19. That is pretty legit. Uh Pulling up some of the other stuff. He had an ERA plus of 354. That means he was 254% better than the average pitcher. The year before, he had a 180 ERA plus, meaning he was 80% better than the average pitcher. He had a 1.3 FIP in 19, 2.4, a 2.54 FIP in 18. Uh, his whip is always under one. Um, and then going to strikeout numbers, he's a big strikeout guy. Strike out five batters per nine innings and 19, uh, 13 in there. Uh, he's averaging about 13 strikeouts per nine in his career. And, yeah, he's just – I mean, he's just a good pitcher. Uh, in his career, he has a he has a FIP of about a 3-4. You know, that's very good. His ERA is right around his ERA. His ERA is a 3-5 in his career. Uh, but then you got to look at really his San Diego Padres days. That's whenever he really – developed that's when he really became like the guy that's when he like like his first few years in the league he struggled he broke in late as a 27 year old and he wasn't great um but if you look at his san diego padres numbers he had a 2-5 era for over four seasons that's including that bad season last year um and then he also was working with a fit of you know around a 2-5 as well striking out 14 batters per nine like it's kind of silly his stretch that he had with the padres over Really, those three seasons, that fourth season, kind of hard to count. Only bitch four innings, so we don't really need to talk about it. Um, but in 19, actually led the MLB with 41 saves. Um, obviously, saves that little flawed, right? Um, you can go in there with a – you can go into the game with a two-run lead or like a three-run run lead, and yeah, like you can you can – give up two runs and still get the three outs before you get the last run and get a save for it. And you just pitch terribly or like you can come in on a two run game in the ninth and you could walk four people in a row and then give up, you know, and then get two people out, get three people out. And then you still get the save. Your team still won, even though you just went out there and walked four people in a row. It's just a not good outing. So, but at the same time, he was dominant that year. As we saw, he had an ERA and a FIP, you know, in the mid ones. So he was just flat out dominant. Um, and then he was striking out 14 batters per nine. That's kind of the key there. Like he's a big strikeout guy. He doesn't rely on weak contact. And that's why I think he'll be fine. One now that he's gonna be healthy, he's gonna be fine. But yeah, you have those four like just big moves. You had those four big moves and two off seasons. Now all of a sudden you're looking at a Blue Jays team that I mean, I'm assuming MLB's never announced anything yet because they hate everyone. But it looks like it's going to be only five teams again, two wild card spots. The way the Blue Jays are trending, I expect them to be in a wild card spot. They already have. They had Vlad Jr., who looks like a truck right now. He got skinny all of a sudden and jacked. Uh, they still have Bo Bichette. They have Biggio still. They have, you know... Travis Shaw, if he can somehow bounce back. I don't know. A Red Sox fan. I'm trying to live in the past still with him. Um, they have Nate Pearson. They have Ryu. They have Brantley now. They have Springer. Like, they're just – they're stacked. 
like they're really stacking up now for not only now but for the future also i expect them to go run make a run for a wild card i don't expect them to win a division this year just because you know they're competing with the yankees and the rays both of those teams i could see winning over 100 games but i wouldn't be surprised if the blue jays are around that 88 to 91 mark and sneak into the second wild card spot with and the al east has three teams um i don't think anybody from the central yeah, I'm thinking about it. I don't know if anybody from the AL Central is going to be better than them this year. Uh, obviously, the Twins, but after them, the Indians. I the Indians are trying to get worse, so I can't see them being better. And then like going out west, the Rangers aren't going to be better than them. The Mariners, Angels, and uh, Astros will. But they're going to win their division. I just honestly, I don't know. I don't know if there's any team that's going to really be good enough to challenge them for that second wild card spot. I could see the Angels if they pick up some pitching, maybe if they grab a Bauer, make another trade, but they've been so stagnant. Um and which sucks because I wish we could see the one of the best players of all time, potentially the GOAT when it's all said and done, playing the playoffs. But Los Angeles, my bad, Anaheim, they hate us. They uh they're big time hate the fans. They they don't want us to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. They say no 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 he is mine no one else can view him. Um, but this this Blue Jay team is going to be nasty. Um, I'm very excited to watch them play. I'm actually about to pull up the roster because I know there's some players I'm forgetting about. And then after I'm finished recording, I'm going to be like, oh, man, I wish I – oh, yeah, so-and-so. I wish I would have remembered him. They are, uh, they're awesome. Let's see. I'm pulling it up now. Oh, yeah, Guriel. That dude hits tanks. Uh our Lordies and Teoscar Hernandez, they hit like legit tanks. Uh, especially Teoscar Hernandez, he hates the Red Sox. He always just kind of dominates Rowdy Telez. He hits nukes. Um, like these are guys who like they're honestly very fun to watch because there's a lot of people in this team that can just flat out hit the ball eight thousand feet and it may never land. And <laughs> that's kind of what makes them fun. And then you add in like the swag of like Bo Bichette, and then like uh, speaking of nukes, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, he can hit the ball, you know, as hard as anyone. We saw him in the home run derby. He probably should have won it. Oh yeah, Ross Stripling, chicken chicken strips. Uh, he's on there. Like this, this feels like a very interesting team. I feel like it's gonna be a fun team to watch, fun team to be a fan of. Uh, they're still working with Derek Fisher and Randall Gritchett. Throwing out just throwing out names that like the average baseball fan may know, but yeah, uh, they I, I think there's they still have they resigned Robbie Ray, they resigned uh, Tanner Roark. Like these are just interesting names, like people that the average baseball fan would probably know. Um, but my thing is go out there and go sign Trevor Bauer now. You already got one out of the three big pieces this offseason. Go grab like the three big fish. Go grab him. Go mess around and get a. a I'm going to start go sign a JT Real Muto. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but honestly, like, it's JT's the best catcher in baseball. Their catching spot isn't necessarily great with Danny Jan- Jan- Jansen. Um, I don't know if – I don't know enough about him to know what he's going to be like when he's – you know, he's only 25. He can still develop – but, I mean, a career 208 hitter with an OPS in the mid-sixes, yeah, JT Real Muto, <laughs> best catcher in baseball. Um, but, honestly, if I was them, I would definitely go lean more on the pitching side. You get a one-two punch of uh, Ryu, and then you have Trevor Bauer, or Bauer-Ryu, whatever order you want, I don't care. Um, and then if you can fix Robbie Ray, if you can get him going again, and all of a sudden you you got a three headed monster of dudes that can just go out there and you know flat out pitch. Um, I could, I could really see this team like winning a wild card game, maybe not not winning the wild card game, making it to the wild card. And again, it's still a wild card. Anything can happen. If you got Trevor Bauer out there for nine innings, one game, who's gonna be the winner? Like if you're going against the Yankees and say Garrett Cole had to pitch two days before and all of a sudden they got to throw out Luis Severino or a, you know, Corey Kluber or somebody like that. Like I, I like the Blue Jays in that matchup with, I like the Blue Jays in the matchup with Trevor Bauer. All of a sudden you're playing in a divisional round, five game series, anything can happen. 
All right, I'm, I might be overselling myself here a little bit on the Blue Jays, but I mean, it's just kind of to show like what the just what like the what the landscape of the American League is this year, and what the landscape of just kind of baseball as a whole. Um, I could see the White Sox challenging them. It's probably going to be the White Sox and Blue Jays challenging for the wild card. Oh, I forgot about Oakland. Um, actually, scratch that. I think Oakland's going to probably win the division this year. Um, all of a sudden, you have the Astros who have lost a lot of talent. They lost two of their best hitters. Uh, Justin Verlander's another year older. Bregman's going to bounce back. Altuve's going to bounce back. is still there, uh, at least until his arbitration's over, because he'll probably leave, because that's a lot of disrespect he's been getting. But we can talk about that another day. But looking at it, you kind of have Yankees, Blue Jays, White Sox, Astros fighting for two spots. So four teams fighting for two spots. I would probably give the edge. Right now, I could probably still give it to the White Sox, um, but I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be playing. I think the Blue Jays are going to be – they'll be in contention for the game, and that's pretty, really all a Toronto fan really asked for right now. They're still in the development stage. Uh, just remember, guys, be patient. I know this is so exciting right now. Are ready to win, but you, you got to be patient. Um, it's not gonna happen overnight. Whenever the Iron the Harbor at the Pelicans um, last season, because I thought we were just gonna be instantly really, really, really good after the Lakers trade, and then adding Zion, and then that's not what happened. And then again this year with the Pelicans, I thought we were gonna be really, really good. Not really, really good. I thought we would be making the playoffs, and they have been just. They're growing, let's say that. Um, that's the best, nicest way to put it. But besides the point, Toronto, if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, you have to be ecstatic, like just ecstatic, just excited in general about the direction of this team, the way they're going, the way they're trending. Um, so now all of a sudden, there, there's two. There is two big free agents left out of the big three. Um, and then I, I think Marcelo Zuna is also a very, I, I would call him a big free agent, but He's not in that top three tier. That is the real Muto, Bauer, and Springer, which obviously Springer's gone now. But I think that trying to, I'm going to try and predict here. I don't know if he's going back to the Phillies, real Muto. I really thought real Muto could be going to the Mets, um, but the, the Mets signed James McCann. That's not going to happen. I could see the Mets pivoting now and going sign George, uh, going to sign Trevor Bauer, or I could see them making another trade. But let's go. Let's do Bauer to the Mets for fun. The Mets kind of have everything that they're looking for. He's looking for like a young team with stars. You got Pete Alonso. You got Jake Degrom. You got Francisco Lindor. You got that. You got a team that's gonna like let you have your creative freedom with momentum. Steve Cohen seems like that kind of guy. But the problem is they don't have the spring training in Arizona, which I don't know if that's a deal breaker, but he says he would prefer it because that's where momentum's located. But I, I, I think it would be very fun to watch Trevor Bauer there pitching with Jacob DeGrom, pitching with a healthy Noah Syndergaard now, maybe for the first time ever, if he can ever be healthy, pitching with a Marcus Stroman. And that Mets team would be just absolutely nasty if he went there. If in the same offseason they – Added Cookie Carrasco, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Bauer, and James McGann all in one offseason. That'd probably be the best offseason in Mets history, really. Um, I'm sure somebody's gonna be like, oh no, the best offseasons when they got uh when they got Piazza. Like, what do you what do you young child? You don't know. Well, getting these four guys feels just what they did this offseason might be the most that they've ever done. Maybe 2005. The Beltron offseason was the only other time they could really compare to this. But, like, especially, like, in recent memory and recent history, the Mets have never acted like a big market team until now. Um, Real Muto, uh, let's – I don't know where I want to put Real Muto. It would be kind of funny if we sent him back to Miami, but that's, I don't think that's actually going to happen. Let me let me do this, actually. I'm going to pull up – I'm going to pull up a list of teams. I'm just going to select randomly. All right, Real Muto to the Nationals. That's what I have. I need to go double-check now to make sure the Nationals are kind of in need of a catcher because I'm sure I'm just forgetting about someone that they have. 
because my brain's kind of a blender right now. <laughs> uh, just overall, basically, I have so many like different like, especially with school starting, but it's just like so many different like uh, sports kind of flying around at once. Yeah, the Nationals could definitely use a catcher. So yeah, JT Realmuto. Maybe I came up with that because I've seen rumors with him potentially going there. Which is possible. I've probably seen that. Uh, but yeah, let's do Real Muto to the Nationals. Let's do Bauer to the Mets. And Ozuna to the Red Sox, I would love so much. Um, I don't even care about the defense at this point. And I, w- I just kind of want to watch you know, Marcel Ozuna go hit nukes in Fenway. Uh, maybe a Nelson Cruz. But again, like we don't have the – we have the DH spot. Too bad we can't do it. Be like off uh, football, who has like an all offense and an all defense. <laughs> That'd be great because then we could acquire Ozuna and Cruz and Edwin and Encarnacion whenever Poppy was still here. Like just just like have a full on team of like the best hitters, and then you just throw out like the Billy Hamiltons and Jackie Bradley Juniors and the Mookie, well Mookie Betts could play both ways, but you know what I mean. Like those guys go out there and just play defense only, but. Yep, that's probably uh, pretty much going to do it for today. There's really nothing else to touch on on basketball. Uh, Tennessee scandal is hilarious. I'm probably going to wait for more details to come out and talk about that next week. But, yeah, that's really going to do it for today. Uh, If you take a minute, if you, like at the beginning of this episode, uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please go subscribe, uh, leave a rate, comment, review, everything like that, and go check out my YouTube channel, check out the Twitch, check out, all the social media, all that's going to be in the description of this episode. And I just want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for spending more time with me. And I will see you guys next week. Love you guys.